You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. good to go. Great. Thank you, Tracy. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Heidi Daniel, President and CEO of the Enoch Pratt Free Library here in beautiful Baltimore City. We are so excited to come together to celebrate the Year of the Woman, and tonight we are lucky to have two of the most powerful women in U.S. politics, Senator Barbara Mikulski and Ambassador Wendy Sherman. Senator Barbara Mikulski has a history of firsts. She was the first elected Democratic woman in the Senate, the first woman to chair the powerful Senate Appropriations Committee, and she went on to become the longest serving woman in Congress. Today, the Senator is a professor of public policy at John Hopkins University, where she is helping to prepare the next generation of change makers. Ambassador Wendy Sherman was the first female Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs and was often the only woman at the table during negotiations with North Korea and Iran. She is now a Professor of Practice of Public Leadership and Director of the Center for Public Leadership at the Harvard Kennedy School. And both Senator Mikulski and Ambassador Sherman have long time histories with each other and with the Pratt Library. Now, Senator Mikulski will have a permanent place at the Pratt Library. The Senator has graciously loaned and donated some of her most precious memorabilia from her historic political career for the new Senator Barbara A. Mikulski room at the Central Library. Just a few of the artifacts from the room include the Senator's Presidential Medal of Freedom, the pen President Barack Obama used to sign the Lilly Ledbetter Act, the dining room table from the Senator's family home, and more. The room will be used for adult literacy programming and is sure to inspire generations of female leaders to come. We can't wait for you to come and tour the room when it's safe to do so. But we want to give you a sneak peek. So we're going to take a look at the historic career of Senator Barbara A. Mikulski. The first time I went to Central Library, I wanted to read every single book in that library. I'm Senator Barbara Mikulski from and for the state of Maryland. Welcome to my Capitol Hill offices. Every Senator gets a certain workspace in order for us to do our job. We get what we call personal offices, and then we have committee rooms, and then there's the floor of the United States Senate where we vote on big national legislation. Now, some senators like big desks because they're big guys and we're working on big things. I'm a more collegial person. I like round tables in the state to meet with constituents, and I like round tables to meet with my staff to work on legislation. This is one of the most important and historic rooms uh, within the United States uh, complex. This is right in the Capitol, right under the floor where we debate and vote on the important issues facing our country. But it is in this room that we make the decisions on the power of the purse. Where do we spend 
the money, on what do we spend the money, and how much. And in 2012, I became the chair of the Appropriations Committee. We're now in my Capitol office. This is an office that's actually in the capital of the United States of America. I have up here the pictures of all of the women who ever served in the United States Senate. I'm the longest serving. I've served 30 years. To honor those women, I've created a wall of fame so that every picture is up here. The Constitution, again, said, every senator is here to represent the state. How can you help that state with its day-to-day -day needs right now and help get that state ready for the future? But no matter what, I never, ever wanted to forget where I came from. I was born in Baltimore. I grew up in Highland Town. I lived in Fells Point. My mother and father taught me the value of service. They had a small neighborhood grocery store. And when they opened it every day, my father said, good morning, can I help you? So I always remember Baltimore, Maryland, service. This is the dining room table from our home. back on my life um, and the great joy of being of service uh, it's putting together the coalitions to get the job done uh, and uh, and to make changes that improve the lives of people has done so much for Marylanders and our gratitude is deep. This evening's conversation will be moderated by the Pratt Library's Marketing and Communication Director, Megan McCorkle. Thank you. Megan? Heidi, thank you so much. And I really can't think of a better way to celebrate the Year of the Woman than by having this conversation with two women who broke down so many barriers and paved the way for so many um, so it is an honor to moderate this conversation. Uh, it's the highlight of my year of the woman, I know. So thank you very much. Um, I know I have a lot of questions. I'm sure a lot of you watching have a lot of questions as well. So type them in the chat. We'll try and get to some audience questions at the end. But like I said, I have a lot of questions. So we're just going to jump right in. Um, both of you grew up here in Baltimore. Uh, Senator Mikulski, what kind of impact have the values of this region really had on you in a lifelong way? Oh, Baltimore, 100 <laughs> um, percent. Baltimore is about community. Washington is about connecting. Um, we often joked in the Maryland delegation when someone in Washington invited you to dinner, uh, they would say, we're having two senators, 
three ambassadors, no offense, Wendy, um, a governor. It was about who you were inviting. In Baltimore, they'd say, come on over. We're going to have crab cakes. We're going to have cookies from our two famous bakeries. Too bad Mikulski's is closed. It was about community. It was about connecting on a one-to-one basis. And the values of Baltimore was really about neighbor helping neighbor uh, and looking out for one another uh, in these uh, communities that we lived in. So I would say that the way Baltimore shaped me was about this whole sense that we're all in this together and that we're all connected uh, and that you don't have to be well connected to either meet your senator or meet your congressperson or to be able to get things done. Mm-hmm. And we need that connectivity now more than ever. Uh, Ambassador Sherman, how did growing up in Baltimore impact you in your career? Well, it's interesting that Senator Mikulski talks about connecting because that's what she did as an organizer in her own community. She connected East and West Baltimore, uh, people that had not talked to each other and had not worked with each other. But she knew that if a six-lane highway came through the city of Baltimore, it was going to change Baltimore forever. And so she created a coalition to stop the road and brought diverse people together. I learned those lessons from my parents, Mimi and Mal Sherman, that Baltimore had some challenges and some things we had to work on. For my parents, it was to ensure that anybody who wanted to buy a house could buy one, no matter who they were and to change what was once a segregated, very segregated city that still has challenges uh, to some extent. But it was a city that wanted to solve problems. It was a city that understood that everybody got up every day and went to work and tried to ensure that their family was fed, had a shelter over their heads, got an education, uh, could go on to do whatever they wanted to do in life. And It was, as the Senator said, not about the connections. It was about who you were, what you valued, um, how you got up every day and did what you needed to do to give your family a better life. And that just sort of storefront uh, house on the street, kids going to school together to have a better world uh, is very much part of who I am and clearly a part of uh, who Barbara Mikulski is. Mm-hmm. Ambassador Sherman, you touched on it a little bit um, about the impact that your family has had on you, specifically during the civil rights movement, um, where your family really supported open housing um, and the bravery that that took. Witnessing that type of bravery at such a young age, how do you take that along with you, knowing how much your family stood up for the values that they believed in? My parents taught me courage, um, that if it's the right thing to do, even if it comes with a cost, it's worth doing. As Megan's pointing out, uh, my parents were very moved by a sermon by Morris Lieberman, head of Baltimore Hebrew Congregation, who had been arrested as part of a clergy group to uh, end discrimination at Gwyn Oak Park. And he thought he owed his congregation an explanation of why he was arrested. And he talked about being at the liberation of Dachau and wondering what ministers and priests had said as Jews and gypsies and homosexuals are carted off to concentration camps. And um, 
he and my mother thought they should do something to help because Lieberman thought ending discrimination and degradation in Baltimore was his responsibility as a, as a rabbi. And so my dad went to see Rabbi Lieberman who's, and said, what can I do to help? And Lieberman said, well, you can advertise all your houses to anybody who wants them. And my father said, well, if I do that, I'll be run out of town. And the rabbi said, as rabbis say, well, you asked me what you could do. This is what you could do. And my parents did it. Within six months, my father had lost 60% of his listings by the end of the decade. Uh, he had to close his doors. Uh, he did get to get Frank Robinson, who became the most valuable player for the Orioles, his first house. Uh, he did bring on to his team uh, the first African-American uh, to be in an integrated office. Of course, he had a college degree. Nobody else did. Um, and uh, even though we got death threats and terrible calls to our house, uh, my parents taught me a lesson that I held on for all of my life. And clearly, Senator Mikulski's parents gave her the grit uh, and the sense of how you use power uh, to live those values and to have that courage as well. Mm -hmm. Senator Mikulski, you talk often about your parents' neighborhood grocery store and how much they were a part of that community. How did that impact you from such a young age? Well, my first teachers were my mother and father. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the way I saw the way they lived uh, and how hard they worked uh, for my sisters and I and how involved they were in the community. We had a, a neighborhood store, like so many did. These were called the stores on the corner. Bar Baltimore is famous for that, whether it was the grocery store or the baker shop or the corner. And every morning, my father would go over and open this grocery store across the street from our house. And he would say, good morning, can I help you? And so my sisters and I were raised in this atmosphere of being of help, being of service. What can we do? And my dad's grocery store with my mother absolutely at my dad's side, my father had a philosophy, nobody would ever leave hungry. Uh, the grocery store was named Willie's, nobody would ever leave hungry. And if there were hard times, like Beckham Steel was laying people off or during the war and rationing, my father had to extend credit, he would absolutely extend credit. And he believed in that. But my father also and mother also believed in education. They saw it, my father saw that his job as a provider was to make sure that I and my sisters could take care of ourselves. My mother and he worked very hard, a 70 hour week, so that we could go to schools like the Institute of Notre Dame and Mount St. Agnes. And because that way he felt no matter what, we would always have it. And this is why when I said I wanted my first library card, they were very, very enthused, uh, very enthused about it. But also in addition to my families, it was the nuns who taught me. As I said, I went to, to uh, Catholic schools and the nuns uh, taught the girls, uh, the brothers and priests taught the boys of that era. And here we learned about the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after justice about helping others and that helping your mother, helping your neighbor should go into practical actions, not only with words, 
but with deeds. So this whole idea was ingrained in me growing up. The other thing that was ingrained in me was the entrepreneurial spirit. Dad had a grocery, mom and dad had a grocery store. Grandmother had the best Polish bakery in Baltimore. I'm sure I'll get emails about that. Uh, and we had our, our businesses, but also the women worked side by side. So this whole idea of what could women do and glass ceilings, it didn't occur to me because I was surrounded by women who did things, who owned businesses, worked side by side with businesses, or I had women who were teachers who had master's degrees and PhDs. So they inspired me uh, and um, taught me that. But the core message was every day, good morning, can I help you? Mm -hmm. Megan, I commuted to Washington every day as does many of the members of the Maryland delegation. And when I could see that dome, that great dome of the capital of the United States, I would think of mom and dad, who I so wish were here with me tonight, and say to myself, good morning, can I help you? And that's the way I went about trying to be a congressperson and a United States senator. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that both of you have in common, a unique thing, is that you began your careers in social work. Um, Senator Mikulski, I have heard you call uh, being a member of Congress a social worker with power. So <laughs> how did you take that education of social work and being in that career and use that in your career in Washington? Well, I went into social work. Uh, because I wanted to put into action this desire to be of service. Um, I originally thought about maybe medicine, um, but I found that though I love science and believe in science, I was klutzy at it, but I was very good in social science. And then went on to go to work as a social worker, first at Catholic Charities, then the Department of Social Services, and had the opportunity to get a master's degree at the great University of Maryland School of Social Work um, in a field called community organization or social strategy, organizing people for self-help or organizing groups to come together in coalitions to have more power. And um, I loved it. I just loved it and worked to organize. But after 1968, the worst public year before 9-11 and was 1968 was we had two assassinations of Dr. King and Bobby Kennedy. The Vietnam War was just a disaster. Um, and we elected Richard Nixon. And so I decided I was going to get a doctorate and be ready for a Democratic administration in 1972, where I could be the deputy coordinator of the assistant secretary to something or other. Um, and why did I want to be a big deal? Is because I wanted to have power to do good. Mm -hmm. Well, along the way, the fight for the expressway found me. There were going to put a highway through the European ethnic neighborhoods of East Baltimore and the first black home ownership neighborhood of West Baltimore, Rosemont. In East Baltimore, I was invited to a meeting um, and there were many foot soldiers in this. There were meetings of really people whose names are not recognized. And it was everything from the Preservation Society to the pierogi people. Um, and uh, we organized a coalition 
which in East Baltimore was called SCAR. I said we had to have a militant name, Southeast Council Against the Road. Westside had a name called um, RAM, Relocation Action Movement, and we formed a citywide coalition called MAD. The more we knocked on doors, though, for the politicians to hear they should not think that our neighborhoods were the other side of the tracks and be bulldozed, the more we were disregarded and dismissed. So I decided instead of knocking on doors, I would open doors. And that's when I decided to run for city council, became a member of the city council for five years, worked with William Donald Schaefer and great colleagues in the council. When Sarbanes retired, Senator Sarbanes moved, ran for the Senate. I ran for the House and then ran for the Senate. And each step along the way were the lessons of social work. Meet people where they are. What are their day-to-day needs? So when I went to Congress, it was the idea of organizing. And then that's how I thought about identify common needs, common needs, common goals, develop a common understanding, and try to get something uh, done. And it served me well in the neighborhood, and it served me well on Capitol Hill. Yes, and it served all of us well, too. Uh, Ambassador Sherman, what were some of the lessons that you took for your education in social work that you were able to utilize uh, when your career took a lot of different turns? Indeed. So I tell, I teach now, and I tell my students, get a core set of skills, and then I wish you an unexpected life, which I certainly had, and use that core set of skills in whatever you do. Uh, And I was trained at the University of Maryland School of Social Work, uh, little bit after Senator Mikulski was. Um, And I was trained as a community organizer as well. Uh, And I learned clinical skills. And I always only half tease that those clinical skills have helped me a lot with both dictators and members of Congress. (laughs) Uh, It's good to understand people, uh, see where they're coming from, as the Senator said, what their needs are. Uh, But when you are trained as an organizer, You have to see the whole landscape. You have to see all the pieces of the puzzle, what people's needs are, what their interests are, how to achieve a realistic goal that you can actually get to. Um, I have a lot of my students who uh, talk about, well, do you do things incrementally or should we just be revolutionaries? Life is usually incremental. Even when you're a revolutionary, you probably don't get it all done on the first try. (laughs) So I've taken that skill set Uh, first uh, to uh, child welfare, uh, then to politics, including running uh, Senator Mikulski's uh, campaign for the U.S. Senate, which is one of the proudest things I've ever done in my life and one of the most wonderful nights of my life when uh, she accepted that role and that job. Uh, And then uh, through to build a business, uh, which I did with Secretary Albright and other people, and then on to doing national security and foreign policy, which I never imagined I would do, but happened very unexpectedly. Um, And I took the same skill set into the negotiating room with the Iranians. So same skill set, just different caseloads. See, Megan, and this is what we want to say, you know, there's this whole attitude now, you got to get your ticket punched. I mean, there are people who obsessed like what daycare center they're kids going to get into so they can go to the right 
uh, next school and, you know, is the, the, this kindergarten or that one, you know, what you hear from Ambassador Sherman and myself, we never started out thinking that we would be at high levels at the State Department negotiating really a very important uh, uh, agreement that could lower the threshold for nuclear war. I never thought that I would be in the United States Senate or in the city council. My family was not involved in politics. That was pot-bellied guys who smoked cigars and, you know, and women were viewed as novelties like the hula hoop or something like that. Um, my family was involved in chari charitable work, church organizations, heritage organizations. So what Ambassador Sherman is saying is right, is look at what your talents are. Be best at what you're best at. Be best at what you're needed for and take those first steps, which lead to the next steps. And then that will take you along, uh, along the way. And it is unexpected. It is unexpected. And one of the places that helped both of you find some of those first steps um, was the Pratt Library. Uh, Senator Mikulski, talk to me about the impact that the Pratt Library had on you. I just love the Pratt Library and have really loved it ever since being a schoolgirl. Um, I regard the Pratt Library as one of my teachers, uh, one of my longstanding uh, teachers. Growing up in Highland Town, we had only the branch in Canton, which was about uh, 18 or 20 blocks from my house. Um, but we had a bookmobile on Friday night. You know, the guys could have their Friday night light sports, but I had the bookmobile. When my mother and dad allowed me to get my first library card, I was so excited. I viewed this as an empowerment tool, though I didn't know that word then. But it was my ticket to a world of new meeting, hearing about new things, about adventure. It was about a new window on the world. In my life, I've had three important cards that took me great places. My library card, my driver's license, access to the world, and my voter registration card, which made me enabled me to have power to change the world. But with the library card, I got to have a friend in Switzerland named Heidi. I got to ride the horse named Black Beauty. Long before I was on the Intelligence Committee in the Senate, I learned about this smart girl named Nancy Drew, um, and it took me to all of these places. The bookmobile at that time was like a food truck for books. And when I think about the Pratt Library and what it meant, it fed body, mind, and spirit. During the uprising, you ran a, a tremendous feeding program, but you feed body, mind, and spirit. The Pratt Library being open to everybody. When I walked into Central Library, it was originally told in the video, I just couldn't believe it. A whole building with books. And I wanted to read every single one until I realized I couldn't because there would always be new ones. And that fascinated me, that I would then be a life long reader. Mm -hmm. And what I like about the Pratt is no matter what happens in our community, the Pratt 
finds a way to stay open, available, and accessible, free of charge and open to everybody. So I just love the Pratt Library. And I, as I said, I consider it one of my lifelong best teachers. Mm -hmm. Ambassador Sherman, you have the same passion for the Pratt Library. I know you spent a lot of time at our Central Library when you were younger. I did. When I was a teenager, I would often come down um, to the Central Library on Saturdays, even when my family moved to Baltimore County. Uh, it wasn't that long a ride. Um, and I just, I just loved that big room with all that wood and all those books. It made me feel like anything was possible. It made me feel the power of learning and knowing and uh, studying and moving things forward. It was the grandness of it, but also the depth of the wood and the richness of the books gave me a sense that, you know, of solidity. And as the Senator said, it was free to everybody. Everybody had access. It was the Enoch Pratt Free Library. And I couldn't agree more about the library card. We all got library cards long before we got any other card. And it was in our name. Even when your parents had you open a savings account, that usually came a little later, you could get a library card as a kid. Mm -hmm. And you knew you were responsible for those books. It was also how you learned about responsibility. You had a contract with the Enoch Pratt. You took the book out, you had to bring it back or you were gonna pay a fine. So you learned just really basic things. And the other thing I'll say about the Enoch Pratt Library, which has such meaning in my life, my mother was an extraordinary reader and she didn't buy books and there were no Kindles then or audio books. She took them out of the library until her dying days, she took them out of the library. And when she did pass, uh, we asked people to make contributions to that bookmobile that would go into neighborhoods that might not have access to books because it was so much a part of her life and so much a part of all of our lives. Mm -hmm. We thank you so much for that. Um, tonight, we are celebrating the Senator Barbara A. Mikulski room at the newly renovated Central Library. I have had the pleasure of seeing the room. I cannot wait for people to be invited in. Uh, it's a beautiful space that includes really inspirational memorabilia from throughout the Senator's political career, including her Presidential Medal of Freedom. Senator Mikulski, why did you want something like that at the Pratt Library? Well, you know, coming back to what I said about the Pratt Library itself, that it's open to everybody. Uh, it's free. The very charter of Enoch Pratt uh, himself, when he established or left the money for the library uh, to be established, was that it be open to everybody. Uh, and also, I've had the opportunity to really lead a great life and to have many wonderful experiences. The fact that there were times when over 1 million people voted for me was not to brag, but it's so powerful to know that 1 million people put that trust in you. 
And so that's why I say that behind every me was a whole lot of we. And these great pictures and artifacts and all I have really don't belong to me. They belong to the people who enabled me to become a member of Congress and to serve the people. And so the fact was that I didn't want to like just sit at home and have it like the crown jewels, that uh, I wanted to be able to share it and share it in a way that's inspirational. So when Dr. Carla Hayden, um, who at one time was the CEO of the Pratt, suggested the Mikulski Room, I was intrigued by it. And I was intrigued because I have not really encouraged things being named after me, like buildings and statues, et cetera. And anything I've agreed that my name go to has to have an educational purpose. Mm -hmm. It must not be an aggrandizement thing. It's got to be an educational thing. So the Pratt Library seemed like the perfect place to be able to put these historic, some of these historic photographs, um, these artifacts like the, show people the Medal of Freedom. What does it look like? And its purpose, it was not meant to be a Pharaoh's tomb. Its purpose is to be educational and inspirational. And the room will also be used to teach adult literacy. I love that idea. Teach adult literacy, which is one of the most empowerment tools that can be provided somebody. So when Dr. Hayden suggested a room, um, it seemed like the Pratt was the perfect place to do it. Open, free to everybody from every neighborhood, every neighborhood, or no matter what your job is, no matter what you look like, where you live, who you love, how you pray, you can just come on in. And uh, also the fact that it would be, uh, be for literacy. You know, Ambassador Sherman and I talked a little bit before this uh, wonderful, wonderful evening uh, and event. And I don't think when she would make her Saturday trips to, the, to Central, she ever thought she'd have a book in that she'd be an author uh here uh she's written a great book called not for the faint of heart great title and very suiting uh, to her life and her work not for the faint of heart uh and when she talks about her life and negotiating this very complex deal uh to make the world safer from nuclear war in the middle east and for me coming into central wanted to read every book that it had. Never, ever would I have dreamt uh, that I would have a room. But it's not my room. It's the people's room. And I really hope when COVID lifts, they can come, they can see these artifacts, uh, see the little videos, uh, and so on. And uh, uh, hopefully that it will help people learn to read or upgrade their reading skills and for newcomers to see these things and for our young people to dream big, to go for it, but to know that to be a lifelong leader, you start being a lifelong reader. Mm -hmm. And Ambassador Sherman, she, she mentioned your book, so I'll pick it up from there. Um, in your book, you talk a lot about uh, 
your time in Washington and a lot of times being the only woman in the room um, at pivotal moments, what was that like? And what is your advice for other women who are now sometimes the only woman in the room at big moments? Well, I think that uh, one of those lessons is to know other women who have been there before you. And so when Senator Mikulski talks about being the first, but never wanting to be the only, wanting to be the first of many, uh, she provides a role model for how to do this. I've had the fortune to work with Madeleine Albright, with Hillary Clinton, uh, with Nancy Pelosi, another great Baltimore gal, uh, and with um, phenomenal uh, women, who may have lived a very different life than I have, Maxine Waters, all the way out on the West Coast in California, uh, or uh, just a whole wide variety of women who have really uh, broken glass ceilings to be where they are. So having those models, and I take that as a responsibility for younger women, which are pretty much all women now, uh, to be available to them to uh, provide advice and mentorship Uh, The second thing I'd say is to find yourself a support group. Uh, When I was uh, then Congresswoman Mikulski's chief of staff, I'd never worked on Capitol Hill before. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, And so I found other women secretary and other women um, chiefs of staff, Jerry Ferraro, Barbara Kennelly, Rosemary Okar. And we would meet at each other's homes once a month, only over Chinese carryout. Nobody could cook and we just help each other out. And so uh, I told the Senator I wanted to get pregnant along the way. Um, I was uh, had uh, a wonderful husband and uh, she understood that when I took the job, I did. Then one of the other women thought, well, if she can do it, so can I. And those were the days when there were no breastfeeding stations, there was no daycare on site. You had to figure it all out yourself, but we helped each other out. So helping each other out is critical. I think finding the Galahads, uh, the guys who will also help you out. Uh, And we have to raise our hands and ask them to help us out, not expect them to just read our minds, to be treated as serious and powerful and real people uh, that they have to deal with. Um, And then the last thing I'd say, there's not a woman listening to this who hasn't been in a room, even when you're a United States Senator, even when you're a secretary of state where you say something, it's really smart. People sort of nod. Five minutes later, a guy says the exact same thing and you want, and everybody applauds. And so what I've done in those circumstances that have an unwritten rule with other women in the room, that when that happens, one of us will say, John, it was terrific of you to reinforce the point that Sally just made a few minutes ago. Good job. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't, but we help each other out. Senator Mikulski, what did you find um, uh, in your careers as a lawmaker about women helping women and finding those allies? Well, I agree with everything the Ambassador Sherman said. And by the way, she's a tough negotiator. I remember when I, uh, uh, you can ask the Iranians that, but you can ask me that when I said that it was 
we had analyzed whether I'd run for the Senate when Senator Mathias retired. Um, Wendy then negotiated literally a contract with me in terms of hours that I could call the house, like not before this and not after that. Uh, the fact that yes, she was going to have a family, et cetera. And I make that point that even if you have a woman who's also quote, your boss, and I put that in quotation marks, you have to claim your power. You have to state what your needs are. And also that you're there for a reason and that you're, you wouldn't be in that room unless you had something to offer and something essential to offer. I find that too often women are shy or reluctant about claiming their power. And I'm telling you, don't wait. Nobody's going to give it to you. You have to claim it. And you claim it because you've either been elected, in my case, I might have been the only woman in the room, but I was also the highest vote getter in the room as well. And they knew that. Um, it had its own little cachet um, to be able to do that. Um, but also, it's not only being the only in the room, it's what you have going when you leave the room. And that's where uh, Ambassador Sherman's comments are right. You do need support groups. Very often, the support group of a loving family is core and essential. And if you can have that, that's really very important. But then it's also these other important groups. When I began to run for Congress in Congress and then began to make plans to run for the Senate, um, then I had the strategy group of all women, some who had been worked for me, some who had worked in the community, and they were friends, they were advisors. They spoke truth to this little fire plug of power at that time. Uh, sometimes it was things that you didn't want to hear. And sometimes the things that you needed to hear uh, in order to do a good job, but they were always there. You always knew that you had someone as your back uh, and that helped. The other thing too, though you might be the only woman in the room, that doesn't mean that every man there is not going to be for you. I've had the good fortune of being the only woman in the room. And many of the men in that room, some were my champions and some were my mentors. And I'm going to do a shout out for Senator Paul Sarbanes. When I went to the United, we knew each other, we worked, we were reformers in Baltimore to, uh, in, at a particular time in our history, in this history. And Senator Sarbanes really helped me break the ice, get on good committees, um, I was the first Democratic woman elected in her own right. And uh, what did that mean? He was a tremendous help. But he was an ally. We talked every single day on Maryland's day-to-day -day needs and also the long-range needs of our country. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the men of the Maryland delegation. Now Senator Cardin and, of course, Senator Van Hollen, other members of, of, of the delegation. So, and, um, you know, that was absolutely important. So though you might be there all by yourself, you're not really there alone. Remember, though you are there all by yourself, you're not necessarily there alone. And it's those outside the room and be open because there'll be people, men in the room who will want to help you. You know, one of the surprises of the first group of men that were the most helpful to me when I came to the Senate. Not only the reformers and the people I'd serve with, 
um, the so-called blue state, we'd call them blue, the blue state guys, were, were the World War II men. Mm. Senator Inouye, uh, Senator Bob Dole, uh, a member of the other party, Senator Lloyd Benson, I could call out their names. Some bore the permanent wounds of war, Congressional Medal of Honor, but because they'd seen everything and they'd fought for democracy, they were just welcome for a new face in a new way and a new day. And um, some they knew that some people carry a big stick, but there'd be a senator who carried a stick. And they went out of their way to be helpful, welcoming, and uh, were tremendous uh, advice and counsel to me. Mm -hmm. I know, um, Senator Mikulski, we, we talk a lot about how um, both you and Ambassador Sherman have been the first women in certain positions. You call them the firsties. Um, there's a new member of the firsties club, uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Uh, first, Ambassador Sherman, I guess, what's your reaction um, when you saw that a woman would be the next vice president? I spent my life trying to help others break glass ceilings in so many different ways. And I've been very fortunate to be part of so much of that. But even I was overwhelmed when she gave her acceptance remarks after the election. I, I had not expected the, the wave uh, that came over me because she was the first woman that was going to be in the White House, not a first lady, of course, there've been many wonderful, spectacular first ladies, but she was gonna be the vice president of the United States and she was a woman of color, mm -hmm. both. Uh, it, it was just extraordinary. It made me a little sad because I was a huge supporter of Hillary Clinton's. If I'm honest about it, I was sad because I thought, my gosh, if Hillary Clinton had gotten those 44,000 votes or whatever was going on, the last four years would have been so, so different than what we all have been experiencing. Whether you're for the president or not, it would have been really different. Uh, and, um, but nonetheless, I knew that night that Kamala Harris was there because of Shirley Chisholm, because of Jerry Ferraro, because of Hillary Rodham Clinton, because of Barbara Mikulski, uh, because of Nancy Pelosi, because all of the women who had come before her that opened the door for her. Senator Mikulski, really same question to you because it is such a, a landmark moment. What does it mean to see a woman in the position of vice president? Well, I was very excited when uh, uh, then-candidate Biden uh, chose uh, now Vice President-elect Harris uh, because I knew of her incredible uh, capability, um, not only her credentials, her capability, uh, her work in the Congress, um, and so on. But when she gave, like Ambassador Sherman, when she gave her acceptance speech, she echoed many of the words that I've said too, um, which is that when you're the first, you don't want to be the only. You know that you're breaking a barrier 
and you want to not only break a barrier, you want to end barriers <laughs> for other people to come. And she spoke to that. She spoke to not only what her historic role is and will continue to be, but she wants to be the first of money and go all the way to breaking what Hillary Clinton called, you know, the 57 da 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 highest in glass ceiling. So I say hats off to her and we wish her well. And, um, but for being a firstie, whether you're Vice President-elect Harris, whether you're Sandra Day O'Connor, Sally Ride, Madeline Albright, Condoleezza Rice, I've had the opportunity to talk to them all. And we all say the same thing. We don't want to be the only, we want to be the first of many. And that means growing the pipeline. And I'm going to come back and talk to that. You have to grow the pipeline of starting with young girls claiming their power to be leaders. And you got to do that even in middle school, all the way up to no matter what you do. And also, when you were a firstie, that behind every me was a whole lot of we. Usually it starts with our family who believes in us. Then it's our coaches. It's our teachers. It's the people who believed in us along the way. It's our public institutions. When I've talked with other firsties, they talk about the role of public schools and public school teachers, not the school as a building, but the teachers who said, you know, I think you've got a talent. Me? Have a talent? Yes, you can write. Oh, you can speak. Well, go out for that debating team. And then the role of public libraries and museums. For them, it was a window on the world like it was for Ambassador Sherman and myself growing up. And so, again, for the firsties, it is not only the me, but it is the we behind you uh, that does it. And last but not at all least, I know it quotes President Obama, but really, when people say, no, you know, it's not your time. <laughs> no, it's really not your turn. Oh, you know, you don't look the part. You say, yes, we can. Yes, we can. When I ran for the Baltimore City Council, they laughed at me. They said no woman could ever win who hadn't been part of the political machine uh, or didn't have big money behind her. But you know what? The people said, yes, we can. <laughs> when I ran for the Senate, they said, you know, she doesn't like look the part. Well, this is what the part looked like for 30 years. And it wasn't that I looked the part. It's that I tried to do the part. So uh, I think that's important. And then, of course, you do need that support group. Your family is your first safety net. You need a core group of supporters. But you also need public institutions very early in life or nonprofit institutions that help you find out what is that talent so that you can be best at what you're best at and be best at what you're needed for. And talking about education, I want to take a quick question um, from one of our Facebook viewers uh, who is asking, Senator Mikulski, what was the impact, do you feel like, um, going to an all-girls school on the leader that you became? Well, I had um, my 
elementary school was boys and girls, and my graduate school, of course, was the men and women. But that, uh, my high school was the Institute of Notre Dame. It was all girls. And also my college was at Mount St. Agnes College, again, all girls, which has since merged with Loyola University. I think the impact was great. First of all, I had primarily women teachers, all excellent, many with advanced degrees, even in high school, teaching me and educating. But it was in those clubs it wouldn't that I really got this shine. Now, look, everybody knows I'm four foot 11. And as the ambassador Sherman says, comfortably, most of the time round. So I wasn't like a big jock. But boy, guess what I was good at drama and debating and joined those clubs and the encouragement that I got the teaching that I got. And I remember one day we were debating the Loyola guys. And it was a it was pretty hard scrabble. Uh, and I was a little discouraged at rebuttal time. And I remember uh, sisters saying to me, Barbara, don't let those Jesuit boys get you down. You're <laughs> twice as smart, twice as good. Get out there and do it. And I felt like it was kind of a blessing out of Rocky. But we were taught to show up stand up and speak up, but not always for ourselves, to always think about the other and to use these talents for the good, whether it was in our family, our neighborhood, or where we got a chance in the country and in the world. I want to talk, um, just a quick question, I guess, about current events. Um, I want to talk about the presidential election. We're just a few weeks um, from that. Uh, Ambassador Sherman, a peaceful transition of power is really the cornerstone of our democracy. Are you concerned by what you're seeing um, happen right now? I am concerned. Um, the United States has long been a country that has been admired around the world. As President Ronald Reagan said, the beacon on the hill. And we have been admired and people want to come here because we are a democracy. Imperfect trying to get better all of the time. But in every election, we have had a concession. We have had a peaceful transition. Some of them have taken a long time. In history, some have taken months uh, because it took that long to count the vote because we didn't have uh, electronic machines. Uh, in the Bush-Gore election, it took until December it went to the Supreme Court. No one tried to delegitimize the election. And Vice President Gore gave probably the finest speech of his life, saying how important the Constitution was, how important the transition of power was. And even though he had other things he could have done, other options, he stepped back and said that that transfer of power was more important. Yes, I am concerned. But I believe in the American people. I believe that on January 20th, uh, we will have a transition of power. But I would urge everybody who's listening uh, to urge everyone they know to appreciate that we probably just had the fairest, safest, best election with 
a staggering turnout, 65% of our population in a pandemic because so many people thought democracy was that important. The voters have spoken. It's time to move on. Uh, Senator Mikulski, speaking of the presidency, we do have a question from the audience asking, uh, did you ever want to run for president? Why and why not? Did you ever consider it? For as much as one holds the executive branch and the presidency <laughs> in awe, uh, I like being in the United States Senate. I like the collegiality of working with 99 other people of looking at big consequential problems, but also thinking about the, you know, a small county in Maryland uh, and about what their needs were. And I felt that my talents were better suited served being in a legislative body. Uh, but of course, you know, supporting uh, the presidential, uh, supporting pres people running for president. Like Ambassador Sherman, when I saw Vice President-elect Harris uh, really on her victory night that um, we had been friends with Geraldine Ferrero. Uh, we also noted that this was the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote. We thought, my God, in it was 1920 that women got the right to vote under the 19th Amendment. And it's taken us so long to get a woman on the national ticket. But, you know, progress comes and we're very proud of the ticket that we have. And like Ambassador Sherman, I am so proud of the American people and the large number that turned out. And also in the states that organized this orderly way of progressing. And even now, as we go through certain legal challenges of recounts or lawsuits or whatever, uh, the fact is, is our democracy is functioning. I mean, except for COVID, commerce is flowing, banks are open, you know, people can go about, there's not tanks on the street and whatever. So there's something about our country and its trust. But the fact that so many people turned out, one, they claimed their power, Second, they wanted to have a voice, and that's terrific. And the third thing was that they were not going to be deterred by virus or inconvenience, naysayers or whatever. And I'd like to say hats off to the 50 boards of election throughout this country that worked with the Department of Homeland Security to keep our election safe and secure and to do it. Do we need to improve voting rights? You betcha. Were there tools and tricks of suppression? Uh-huh. But by and large, it all worked. But there's a lot more to do. Senator, you talk about being collegial. Um, and you helped start the tradition of dinners between women in the Senate. And those dinners had something you called the zone of civility, no matter which side of the aisle that you were on. Um, are you worried about the state of civility in Washington as it stands right now? I've been worried about the state of civility ever since Newt Gingrich was speaker. That's when really this cranky, prickly erosion and corrosion started. Uh, and where they, this iconoclastic approach uh, and in your face style of uh, politics. 
uh, I truly believe that you can disagree without being disagreeable. And when we, the women of the Senate, which is a story for another day, um, organized our famous dinners, we so disagreed on issues. Some of us were for the line item veto, others weren't. Some are pro-choice, some are not. But what we could agree on was two things that were our first things that we wanted to be, that among ourselves, we would be a zone of civility. Even if we disagreed, we would not demonize. Our debate would be known by civility, intellectual rigor, and robust debate. And we did that. The other thing that we advocated for was more funding for breast cancer research. Those dinners that we organized, it was really with Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson and myself, got started in 1993. And they have continued to go, go now for the last 27 years. I would hope that all we did do was get to know each other as people and follow as Senator Hutchinson did with me when she reached out to me on a women's economic empowerment. She didn't judge me, even though her staff was saying, why do you want to call Barb Mikulski that feisty liberal from Baltimore? And my staff was saying, why would you want to call Kay Bailey back? She's that conservative from Texas. Well, judge not. And as President-elect Biden says, let's give each other a chance. Let's give each other a chance. Let's take the time, come in off the ledge, and really, let's give each other a chance. Let's give this new national government a chance. Let's mask up and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I know we're starting to run out of time, so I'm going to do one more audience question and then a final question. Um, the audience question is for both of you, and it is, do you feel that there is hope for the Equal Rights Amendment? Ambassador Sherman. I probably should let the legislator answer yeah. <laughs> that, uh, since it has to. Um, we're, we're in the process of ratification that's gone on for some time. Some of the aspects of the ERA have gone into law, but of course, an Equal Rights Amendment would be a wonderful thing. Uh, I personally, sadly, do not have, see it happening uh, in the near term. Uh, that does not mean we should not continue to advocate for it. But I defer to the senator, uh, who was such a champion for it uh, in the Senate, in the House, uh, to get it to move forward. Senator Mikulski. We advocated the Equal Rights Amendment because we couldn't be dealing with discrimination one law at a time in terms of economics, in terms of job discrimination, equal pay for equal work. Um, I do believe that one, simply because of the virus now, legislative sessions are canceled. We have a Congress that's left town without passing the stimulus. Um, And we desperately need help to our local communities and to our people Mm -hmm. who face hunger, face eviction, and so on. So the top of our agenda has to be contain the virus, move the vaccine forward to find a safe, effective way of distribution with the safe, effective vaccine, get our economy back. And as we look at it, we will see that the biggest impact of the virus, the biggest negative impact has been on women and particularly women of color. As this emerges, 
we'll begin to deal with it again one law at a time but i predict before the joe biden first term is up uh, we will pass the equal rights amendment you heard it here yeah we'll write it down <laughs> um I'm going to ask you one last question. It's a question that I find myself asking a lot of people um, who are inspirational, who are in leadership positions, especially right now. 2020 is starting to wrap up and it's been a hard year for a lot of people um, with the global pandemic, health issues, economic issues. Um, it's been a tough year. What in this year and moving into the future are you hopeful about? Um, what is bringing you hope? Uh, Ambassador Sherman, could you start? I think the Senator and I may have some of the same answer about this uh, because she's at Johns Hopkins teaching and I'm at Harvard Kennedy School teaching and the young people that I teach are extraordinary. I'm teaching 48 on Zoom right now. Uh, one of them is in Sydney, Australia. Uh, the class is at nine in the morning here uh, she's often talking with us at 2 a.m. there. Uh, I have students all over the world and all over the United States in all kinds of circumstances. Uh, there are students who stay, have stayed on campus at Harvard because they're homeless. It's the only home they have. So I am just in awe of the resilience of this young generation, their desire to create social change. We had a class this morning with Desmond Mead, who was the really the inspiration behind uh, Amendment 4 in Florida that allowed returning citizens from prison to vote. He himself uh, was a returning citizen, was homeless for a while, went to community college, college, law school, and then took this fight uh, all the way through to victory. Uh, and he was inspiring them, but they were mesmerized because this is what they want to do. They want to bring about change. They are diverse. They care about our climate. They care about, care about our planet. They care about social justice. They care about equity. They would love to find common ground. That's what they heard about from uh, Desmond Mead this morning was finding that common ground in the same way the Senator did with Senator Hutchinson and so many people to try to legislate, to actually be patriots and solve problems. Like her father said, how can I help you? So these young people are an inspiration for me and give me hope. The other thing that gives me hope is gratitude. I try to start each morning understanding how privileged I am to have a family I love, a husband of many years, a daughter, grandsons, a house, shelter, food, a job, income, uh, possibilities to own my power. And it's why everybody getting out and voting, as the senator said, and owning their power is so important. It is a really tough year. I have my days when I'm depressed too, but I try to have gratitude for all that I have in this life. Senator Mikulski, what's making you hopeful? Well, I agree with the Ambassador Sherman again. Uh, <laughs> you can see why we're so compatible. Uh, it is young people. And it's not only the young people I meet at Hopkins, it's the young people I've had a chance to meet uh, in the community as I've participated in a variety of community activities. They really want to be involved. They want to be engaged. And they want to change the world. 
They want the world to be a better place. And they want the world in a better place is not only solve the big issues like hunger insecurity, uh, certainly global, the global climate change, but also to be a more inclusive, more diverse society where we right the wrongs of the past. This is a generation that knows the wrongs of the past. And this is the generation that wants to do something about it. That's why they're working so hard to stay in school at every level. And I salute every teacher at every level and every parent, you know, trying to Zoom, trying to zip, trying to do all this kind of stuff. Listen, when I was told I had to learn to Zoom, I thought it was like, you know, to drive an automobile, Zoom, Zoom, you know, but here we were. And my point is, is that they want to learn so that they can change. But they bring a fresh viewpoint. Mm -hmm. They're innovative, they're creative, and they've been exposed to a world of technology that I don't quite get, but I don't have to get it. They have to get it. Mm -hmm. Now, they're going to be impatient, and they're going to be a little brusque, and at times a little dismissive of we vintage types. That's okay. I was the same way myself. So just when I say, let's give each other a chance, Let's give these young people a chance and let's bring, let them bring out the best that they are, because I think we'll find that they will change the world. And I look forward to saying it. Well, this conversation has certainly made me very hopeful um, and I could go on forever, but we've hit the end of our time. So Senator Mikulski, Ambassador Sherman, thank you so much for tonight and thank you for your service to our country. Um, this was a wonderful conversation. I think it had a huge impact. If anybody out there um, knows people that wish they could see the conversation and weren't able to make it tonight, you can just go right onto the Pratt Library Facebook page. The conversation, a recording of it will be there. Or you can go to the Pratt Library website at live.prattlibrary.org and we'll actually have an audio recording there. Um, so this conversation will live on. But ladies, thank you so much. And thanks to everyone watching tonight. Have a great night. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.